On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about maybe the most common concept in the Bible, but maybe often misunderstood. A a much misunderstood topic. We want to talk about faith. We've got a special guest with us tonight, and he's going to help us understand better what the word really means and how it would have been understood in the first century context. All right. It's going to be an important discussion. We're going to start right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- 3-1-3-8-1-4-5-6-7, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you good tonight. To be with you. Kyle's behind the controls tonight. Kyle, welcome. It's good to be here. And uh, we've got a special guest. This is, if you're watching the video feed, is very apparent. Stephen Russell is with us. Stephen preaches regularly for the Pepper Road Church in Athens, Alabama, but he's up here tonight at our invitation to to preach the gospel for us during our gospel meeting. We announced, we've been announcing the last couple of weeks, Jacob, that we're having a gospel meeting this week with different speakers each night. We've had a really good meeting. Stephen spoke for us just now. That's the reason we're just a few minutes late getting started tonight. Uh, and I hope our listeners will bear with us. But Stephen brought us a great lesson about the topic that we're going to discuss during the virtual Bible study, the the topic of faith. Stephen, welcome to the virtual Bible study. Thank you for having me. Oh, you need a microphone. There we go. Let's try it. There we go. That's better. (laughs) Is is it coming It's ready. We're ready. Okay. All right. Um, So, Stephen, uh, when you and I talked in, in preparation for the meeting, you said, you know, that you had a topic that you thought might be interesting and perhaps challenging because it's a... Although a very common faith is a very common term, it's not it's not used very accurately in our world and in our time. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I'm and and not just. I think I think you have a, sort of a secular misusage. In other words, um, you know, we talked about in the lesson tonight. One of the definitions is um, it's a, a belief in anything um, without. Um, Evidence, you know, yeah. belief without evidence. I think that's a secular view, but but in the religious world, you know. Well, a lot of people, you know, they talk about the so-called blind leap of faith. Yes. So I'm going to believe this. There's really not any proof or any evidence that it's so, but I'm going to believe it anyway. Yes. And that's the way a lot of if, I, I really think that if we were to go out on the, the street and take a, a survey, we'd probably get that as a majority opinion. Yeah, I think so. Um, that uh, again, even religious people would use that sort of uh, uh, usage of the word. Matthew chapter four offers a real pushback to that, where Jesus is challenged by Satan to take a blind leap of faith, if you will, jump off the temple, yeah. uh, and the angels would catch him. And of course, um, Jesus exposes that as a, as a complete misusage of that psalm that that the devil is quoting there. So. That's certainly not what faith is. Right, right. Um, so l- let's start out um, by just quickly addressing the question, are we saved by faith? Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid that some of our brethren, because we have, we've had to deal for so long with false concepts of salvation uh, and, and salvation by faith only, all you have to do is believe I'm afraid we've combated that false position so long and so much that if you said to some of our brethren, are we saved by faith? They say, oh, no, not that. And, but the answer is yes, we, we are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's so, um, um, it's so thoroughly clear uh, throughout the scriptures just over and over. Uh, we have that exhortation, that connection between faith and salvation. Uh, we were saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Mark 16, 16, which is a passage we go a lot to to talk about baptism. It says, he that believeth or, or has faith, it's the word faith there, um, and is baptized shall be saved. Um, uh, to that point, I think that 
you know, brethren, when they're pushing back against that, we're saved by faith. They're really thinking of what James says is dead faith. Yeah. And so, and 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 to be fair, I think the world does present dead faith, leap of faith, blind faith. They they present that as the true faith. But one of the things James is doing is saying faith uh, without any action, without anything to go with it, is dead. In other words, it's not actually faith. And I think that's really his point. I think sometimes we miss that, that when he says it's dead faith, what he's really saying is it's not true. It's not real faith. Exactly right. Uh, Of course, one of our problems is how people view faith and works. Yeah. and and they in 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 a lot of people's minds they those are just completely contradictory concepts there's faith and there's works and you can't do both and you can't have both and they can't and so if you if you suggest the idea of work at all or anything that you should do oh some people are going to get pretty upset about that and 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 there are some verses that they would be quick to go to for instance Ephesians chapter chapter 2 uh, verses 8 and 9 is one that comes up, and we've talked about it a lot of times on the virtual Bible study. Uh, g- give us give us your thought real quickly on the, the idea of faith and works. Well, um, you know, we must, uh, first of all, we we accept that, that there is a type of works um, that is contradictory to faith. Um, Paul uses that contradiction frequently. Um, he does it throughout Ephesians. He does it in Galatians. He does it in Romans. And so um, th- there's just no getting around that there's some contradiction. But I think um, what we really have to do is, first of all, um, note how where else Paul uses the word works. And I think that's the first thing to set in place. Um, if we back up from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 would be one of those places where he, where he distinguishes between faith and works. He says in verse 28, um, if, for we maintain that uh, a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So right there, there's that you know, separation. Yeah. But we back up one chapter here to chapter 2. And um, let's begin in verse 5. It says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. The word deeds there is the same word. Paul's using the same word um, to describe works here that he uses to contradict with faith later. And in this context, he says, God's going to render to each each person according to his works. Then it's not just the sin side of it. It's not just the negative works. But he says those who by perseverance in doing good, so there's the good works, Doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. And and so he goes on to continue that contrast of good works, uh, evil works. God's going to render judgment on the basis of good works and evil works. So I would start by saying whatever Paul is contrasting with faith, it can't be that. Yeah, it can't be. As you said in your lesson, God is observing what we do. Right. And so it can't be that when Paul says it, it doesn't have anything to do with what you do, then why is God watching what we do? Right. Doesn't even make sense. Right. And in fact, I think ultimately the way he's using works, it has nothing to do with doing or not doing. But it really has to do with the mindset behind doing uh, and the motivations yeah. behind doing. And that's what we're going to get to here uh, as we really want to look to your explanation of the true meaning of uh, of faith and, and what it really means. Uh, but I think we got it. We, so, yes, we're saved by faith, but that does not preclude that there are things to do. Right. Uh, so so I, I think and I think as we get to your truer understanding of the meaning of faith, we'll see how that works, how that, uh, and that's what I appreciated about your lesson a lot was, so we can explain that a lot. And I I don't know if we ever, we ever drive our point home to the people who don't want to accept that. But when we understand the real meaning of faith, then I think it makes better sense. So would you please share the, 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 
illustration that you had of a Roman general who might require something of his subject. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I bring in, I didn't bring in this quote, but um, referring back to Josephus as a specific example, Josephus actually writes of this. So this would have been a, um, a Jewish general in, in first century days, and he, we use his writings a lot, obviously. And one of the things that he says, um, he, he comes into a rebel town, and he says, uh, repent and have faith in me. All right, so that's, that's what his instruction is, is he's coming in sort of as the conqueror, saying to this, this uh, local leader, repent and believe in me is how we might translate it. Well, it doesn't make sense to suggest that what Josephus is saying is, first of all, repent of your sins. That doesn't really work. But he doesn't care about sins. Right, right. Yeah. Rather, what he's, he's saying is what we often say the word repent means, which is to turn around. Yeah. Right? So he's saying turn, turn something. What is he supposed to turn? Well, secondly, he's not saying believe in me. That I am a person. Right, that I'm a person, that I'm a general, that I'm a ruler. No, what he's saying is be loyal to me. So he's asking for political allegiance, really. So military turn, allegiance. turn from whatever it is that you have been loyal to mm-hmm. and have allegiance or loyalty to me. Yes. That's, that, was, that was the idea. That's what a general would ask for. Right. And so now I think the, the really important thing for us to realize is that first century people would have been real familiar with that sort of a instruction from yes. a conqueror. Yes. And in fact, that's that's the very sort of thing they were commanded to have in the Caesar yeah. is loyalty and allegiance to have yeah. faith yeah. in the loyalty and allegiance. I, I, I've um, read some that even um, the word gospel would have been used in the New Testament to refer to the Caesar's birthday. Um, that the the gospel of the Caesar, right? Yeah. The good news. We've of got the Caesar. N- good news about the Caesar. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so a lot of our New Testament words end up. Um, being on the level with the the ruling powers of the day, and what do we you know what do we read about the coming of Christ that he is he's coming as a challenge to all of that, um, not in the ways that people think, um, but certainly in the language it's a direct challenge I think uh, to those authorities. All right, so I I, I really like the way you uh, suggested we could even word some familiar text differently that might help us get a better grasp for the idea of faith. But the idea of uh, loyalty, fidelity, allegiance, that's what faith is. And that's way more than just saying, I believe that you exist. Yes. The, 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 the majority, vast majority opinion of people in the world and in the religious world would be, Faith in Jesus just means that you believe that he exists, yes. and it's way more than that, and it has to be more than that. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, you know, if, if we're looking at, and again, I'm bringing in a little bit, I didn't bring in the lesson, but if we're, if we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 4, which makes reference to Genesis 15 and, um, and the, um, the faith of Abraham, and so um, Abraham believed and it was accredited to him for righteousness. If we translated that, Abraham was faithful. Well, that fits that he was faithful, that he was loyal, that he had an allegiance to God. I was reading a, a commentary on the book of Genesis written by a Jew, modern-day conservative Jew. And he was really taking uh, evangelicals to task for their assumption that Abraham somehow hadn't done anything, that there were no works there. He said, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are, have you read the story? <laughs> yeah. Uh, this man has left everything. He, he has completely been loyal and allegiant to God and has gone wherever he told him to go. This is a man full of works yeah. already. Yeah. Now, what he didn't have was circumcision. And that's the key for the Jews because they, they are basing that th- their loyalty is not to God. It's to circumcision. Their loyalty is not to him, to the giver of commands, but the, to the command given. They've right. separated somehow God's laws from the giver of the laws. Mm-hmm. And I think Abraham makes a good illustration there. When God commanded circumcision, why he did it. No hesitance. Right. But, but what God is saying is before I got there, he was already faithful. Yeah. And, uh, and so here, Jews who, who have the circumcision but not the faith, Abraham had the faith but not the circumcision. He saved, you're not. Yeah, yeah, good point. 
Harold Carswell is in the chat room tonight. Oh, my uh, good friend Harold. You know Harold. And uh, he references Titus 1, verse 16. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Yes. There's that idea in mind. Yeah, total inconsistency between your proclamation right. uh, and your activity. I, there's one more verse I would add to that. And in First uh, Thessalonians, and you talk about changing the way we phrase some of these verses if we're thinking in terms of loyalty and allegiance. First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, it said, um, uh, it says for, uh, excuse me, I'm thinking of First Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. Wrong reference there. First Timothy 5 and verse 8. And so he says, um, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I think if we, if we think of allegiance, he's denied what? He's denied his oath of loyalty. He's denied his allegiance, family. right? So here's a man who's professed something. I'm a servant of the king. Well, boy, you're not acting like it. You know, and I think yeah. that's the idea. And in this verse that you just read, he has, he has declared that he loves his family, that he's going to be loyal to his family but then he doesn't provide for them right he's denied his loyal proclamation right because he's not doing what that would require of him and he and he's worse than the guy who's professed nothing at all yeah yeah and it doesn't really make sense if faith here is just a belief right how do you deny a belief by the way you act that doesn't make sense right yeah exactly all right dwight and michelle are out in iowa and they reference hebrews 3 verse 12 take care brethren that there be not in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that falls away from the living god have we not done something to fall away from god we do something wrong to fall away but yet in order to be right we need to do his will if you love me keep my commandments faith is active on our part yes yeah good point there and then Harold chimes in again and says, faith carries the idea of not just belief, but trusting based on that belief. Yes. And Brian's out in California tonight and says, is not baptism itself an act of faith? We are placing our trust when being baptized into Christ's death in Jesus to remit us of our sins. Yeah. Good points. All I right. Think that's exactly right. Let's, Why don't we get a break? Let's grab a break. And when we come back, uh, I want... Uh, Stephen, to talk to us some about viewing Jesus more as our king and with all of the implication of a king over his kingdom, it could be real helpful. I, I, I think we underemphasize that. And so we'll talk some about that when we get back. All right. We'll get to, to that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Here's a quick thought. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. God reminds us that he will keep his promises and his love is unwavering for those who love him and keep his will. Resolve to show your love for him this day and always. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Remember that you are needed. There is important work to be done that will not be done unless you do it. You have to decide your highest priorities and then you need to have the courage pleasantly, smilingly, unapologetically to say no to other things. Some people are like wheelbarrows, useful only when pushed and very easily upset. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the program tonight uh, with Stephen Russell talking about faith and you know, you really can't just define terms any way that you want them to be defined. You've got to use the context. You've got to use what the word itself means to understand this. And a lot of a lot of biblical terms have been hijacked by false teachers throughout the years, and faith is definitely one of those. I think that's a good point. If if I signed a contract, a business contract with you, and then I went through and I made up my own definition of the terms that right. were in the contract and did something totally different than what the contract called for based upon my 
new meaning of the words that I've assigned. Right. <laughs> you 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 sue you sue me uh, for breach of contract because right. you you can't you're not you're not allowed to change the meaning of right. the words. Right. And so I think that's a good point. And in, in regards to how the scriptures use words, we've got to see them as they are meant, not as we might like them to be. So right. that's a good point. Right. Okay. So, Stephen, I, I suggested, uh, you know, give, give us some of your insights into the idea of viewing Jesus more th- completely as king over a kingdom. Yeah. Uh, I, I think everybody could, probably would give lip service to that notion, but there's that, that, that's really a powerful picture. Right. And, and I think particularly for us in a, um, a, a deeply rooted democratic mindset, um, we bristle even at the notion of being under a king. And, and I think we mostly reconcile that. We say, well, obviously, this is a good king. But, um, but I think that's, that's part of the problem is we don't, we don't appreciate what, what it takes and what it looks like. Here are people who were under total authority. We're not. You know, we're, we're very uh, – a lot of looseness is allowed in, in our authority. And there's a lot of privileges with that, but spiritually that, that's detrimental to us, I think. That it we is. Have. It is, right. And so I can be thankful for that freedom, uh, but also realize the, the detrimental effects uh, that it can have on our mentality. Yeah, right. Um, the notion of Jesus as king is central. It's central to the New Testament gospel. Um, it is the climax in Revelation uh, chapter 19. There's so many pictures of Jesus given, but one of the definitive pictures uh, of Jesus in the book of Revelation in chapter 19 and in verse 16, um, it says, and on his robe and on his thigh has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I think that um, I think that references the king of kings of his day, but I think it references the kings of all time, uh, that all of them are put into the, sh- the shadow of uh, by the true king that is Jesus. Um, if you go to uh, Romans chapter 1, as Paul is introducing his letter there, we we go pretty quickly past the first uh, verses of most of Paul's letters, but we miss some when we do. And we certainly do if we, if we uh, skip past too quickly here. He starts off Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, so uh, we might translate that a slave or a servant or a house servant um, of Christ Jesus. The word Christ, um, m- many of your listeners will know this, it means anointed and it means Messiah. So it's, it's, the, it's the bringing in of the Messiah word into the New Testament. Um, we associate it uh, generally only in religious terms, uh, but an anointed person um, is typically throughout biblical history a king. Um, that's the most like, frequent like usage. Samuel anointed yes. David. Right. Samuel anointed, anointed David. Anointed Saul. And David said, with regards to Saul, I would not harm or, or raise a hand against God's anointed. He's actually, the word there, I would not raise a hand against God's Messiah. So you think about the Jews especially. that They've got this word Messiah, 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 Messiah in their mind, and it's associated with king, 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 and then comes the Messiah. What is he? Well, he's the king. Um, and he's the son of David, and all of that is emphasized. Um, I, th- I think particularly, though, um, about its place in the presentation of the gospel. If we're in Acts chapter 2, and the, the first gospel sermon, what's the climax of that sermon? Let all the house of Israel know that God has made this, this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's made him king. Yeah. And and that's that's where that's the pinnacle. That's where the sermon ends, if you will. That's yeah. the gospel, the climax of the gospel, and that's the, that's what they're responding to. And so, as we think about faith in terms of that, it's not just military, but it's political. Faith is what people swore to rulers, to authorities, um, and I think that notion is helped a little bit in Matthew chapter eight. And we talked about this in the lesson. Yeah, tonight. I want you to. I, I had a note there that I wanted you to. Uh, give that example of what what would uh, a loyal soldier do for the king? Right, right. And and we centurions soldiers are used frequently. Um, we know that throughout the New Testament, um, they're pointed to as examples, usually good examples. Yeah. Um, and so this is one of those occasions. So in Matthew chapter eight, we have. Um, 
uh, a centurion who comes to Jesus and asks him, um, he says in verse 6, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, uh, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my slave, do this. And he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were falling, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. So he doesn't say this man understands authority, which he does. He says he understands faith. That's what he's got. And uh, and what is it? What's it, what does it illustrate to his faith? He understands. He says, I'm a man under authority. I have people under authority. I know what it is to be given orders and to do what I'm told. Yeah. And I know what it is to give orders. And, and when expect I give them, them to be done. And expect them to be done. And so he looks at Jesus and says, I know who you are. And I know if you say it, it'll be done. And so Jesus says, this man's got it. Now, Israel doesn't have it, but this man's got well, it. Well, what's he got? He's got faith. He understands. Yes, he understands that faith means when the man, whoever he is, says it, you do it. Yeah. And there's no questions. Yeah. And so that military understanding in this case is valuable. I think that's really great. And again, to those who are listening, that's that, that story's in Matthew 8, beginning about verse uh, 5, uh, but especially verse 10, when Jesus commends the centurion and says, Verily I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And what he had found in this man was that he understood that when you're under authority, you do what you're told. Yeah. It's not, Jesus said, he didn't say, this man understands to to believe in his superior officer. I acknowledge I have a superior officer. Yeah, yeah. There's a general over me. I, I know his name. I, I saw him yesterday. I acknowledge he's up there. He's up there in Caesarea. Yeah, I know where he is. I acknowledge him. No, he's saying when when he, as you said in the sermon, when he says jump, I ask how high. Yeah. I do what he tells me to do. Jesus said this guy understands faith. He has faith. He understands this notion of loyalty. And and uh, responsibility and obedience. Absolutely. Harold uh, in the chat room references First Timothy one seventeen. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, and that is that idea of of kingship and our submission to Him. Uh, and uh, again, maybe a concept that's a little bit difficult for us to grasp in our society today, yes. unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Stephen, in your lesson, you also went to. Romans 3, uh, verse 3, and we may have talked about that a little bit already. Uh, it says, uh, so, beginning verse 1, Romans 3, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe... Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Explain, explain how that doesn't make sense and how we can make sense of it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, uh, um, it, it loses something because of the way they've translated it. So we have, three, we have the same word, same Greek word used three times in this one verse. And I think verses like this begin to help us peel back some of those layers of, of I think, uh, misunderstanding about the word. So... The first usage, if some did not believe. This is verse 3. If some did not believe. That's the first time the word faith is used. Their unbelief. That's the second time the word is used. Will not nullify the faithfulness or faith of God, your says. Yeah. Um, will it? That's the third time. Three words, same, same word, translated differently. And I think we find this very often. When the word faith is applied to people, very often is translated belief. Never when it's applied to God, because it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense to say that their unbelief will not nullify the belief of God. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense at all. So they have to translate it faithfulness. Now, here's a couple of things. First of all, I think that if we just take that word faithfulness that we're applying to God here, which fits, and we, we just take that word backward into the verse, it fits very well. What if some were not faithful? Their unfaithfulness 
will not nullify the faithfulness of God. Well, now, first of all, we see the word play there, yeah, right? It's, yeah, it's their yeah. unfaithfulness, his faithfulness. But secondly, that really changes the dynamic a little bit. It's, it's worse than unbelief. It's people who actually did believe but didn't live up to their belief. They were disloyal. They were disloyal. They were not. They did not um, maintain their allegiance to their Lord. And I think that you find that all through but, the scriptures. But, and his point is that wouldn't change God's loyalty or right. faithfulness. God's still God, even if they are not loyal to Him. It hasn't changed God. Right. God has maintained His uh, dependability, yeah. uh, right. His faithfulness. And that's another thing about that word. Um, when, when the religious world uses the word faith, they mean one thing. When they use the word faithful, they mean something very different. Why is that? Yeah. How could you? If we said somebody's full of faith, shouldn't that mean the same thing, that they're faithful? Yeah, good point. But it doesn't, Yeah. at least not in our exactly. modern usage. Exactly right. I thought you had a real interesting tie-in to an Old Testament example. In First Chronicles 9, you... Uh, uh, Let's see, uh, verse 31. Yes. Matinthiah, oh, one of the Levites who was the firstborn of Shalom, the Kohathite, had the set office over the things that were made in the pans. Yeah. Now, yours reads a little differently, I think. Yeah. Maybe a little clearer on that. Yeah. So uh, this First Chronicles 9, verse 31, he had the responsibility. Uh, over the things which were baked in pans. So that word responsibility is actually, and the Septuagint. Yeah. Uh, so Greek. so when they translated the Hebrew into Greek, yes. they used the word pistos there, yes. faith. Yes. And so he had the responsibility. That is the faith office of the things based, ba- baked in the pans. So it's an, it's an office of responsibility. That is an office of faith. Yeah. And so faith and responsibility, uh, you know. And so he was given this job with the expectation that he would carry it out. Absolutely. That he would be dependable because those things baked in pans had to be ready at the proper time. What what does verse 26 say there in 1 Chronicles uh, 9? What do you have there? Uh, This is King James Version. These Levites, the four chief porters, were in their set office and were over the chambers and treasuries of the house of God. Okay. New King James has charge, had charge over. Their charge. Okay, so that charge would be the word faith. And the New American Standard has an office of trust. Yeah. And and there's the, our word faith is that word trust. And so it's we're putting people we trust here that we can count on, yeah. that are dependable, that will fulfill their responsibility. So, so I think that's a neat picture in the Old Testament. Uh, these various appointed jobs uh, in in the temple service or in the tabernacle service or temple service, you want somebody there who is going to do what he's supposed to do. He's dependable. He can be relied upon. You want faithful people there. Well, then what does that say about us? God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be dependable. He wants us to fulfill our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. It's a really good picture, I think. Yeah. Let's take a break and uh, get a bullet point, and then we'll uh, continue the discussion on the other side. Um, and we'll take your comments as well as we talk with Stephen Russell about this idea of faith and what it means. And then not uh, making it up as we go, but looking at what the scriptures teach and the word, what it means and how it's used in context. What is this idea of faith and what are the implications for us? Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. We know that preparing for judgment is the most important thing in this life. Jesus taught that if we were to, quote, gain the whole world and lose our own souls, unquote, we would be making a terrible trade, Mark 8, verses 36 and 37. Knowing this to be true, we should earnestly seek to convince others, especially those closest to us, of the urgency of obeying the gospel. Everything we do and say should be calculated to produce the salvation of their souls. It is a sad thing to see some Christians who don't seem to understand that they are negatively impacting these people who should be most important to them. When unbelievers, even our own family and close friends, can observe us compromising our spiritual priorities, including forsaking the assemblies, in order to engage, oftentimes with them, in other activities, such as ball games, parties, secular organizations, and so forth, we have given them a firm push in the direction of hell. Paul urged Titus to, quote, show thyself a pattern of good works, unquote, Titus 2, verse 7. And he told Timothy to be, quote, an example of the believers, unquote, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. It is clear that the apostle understood that the teaching and preaching of these two young evangelists would either be helped or hindered by the kind of personal examples they portrayed. Surely it is the same with us. 
If we're genuinely concerned about the souls of others, common sense dictates that we should never let them see us compromise our faith or priorities. Think about it, Christian. Are you helping others, especially those closest to you, to go to heaven or to go to hell? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Alex Dvorak, reminding you to listen to the virtual Bible study every Thursday night at 8 o'clock Central Time. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at uh, collegeu.com. And you also want to check out the sermons that are being presented this week on the College U live stream feed, Kyle. And you've got them looking good out there. Oh, yeah. Keep, keep joining in. It's been a fantastic Bible study. Our gospel meeting, good preaching tonight, good preaching all week. And wrap it up tomorrow. So yeah, it's fine. Really so we, we want to make sure everybody knows that we conclude this gospel meeting, Lord willing, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Josh McKibben uh, will be here to speak to us. He's a very good gospel preacher, and he'll bring a uh, an important lesson to us, I'm sure. And if, so if you're within driving distance of Columbia, Tennessee, we hope you'll come and join us uh, for the conclusion of our gospel meeting tomorrow night at 7. If you can't get here We've been live streaming all of the sessions, uh, and those are not only available live, but immediately as soon as the live stream ends, they are available as an archive. And so you can go back and look at those. I know Dwight uh, contacted me earlier in the week and said he'd been listening to all yeah, of Dwight's those. Yeah, Dwight's been listening. Yeah. 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 So uh, Dwight's out in Iowa. And he's able to benefit from the gospel meeting here in, in Columbus. The Internet's not frozen over in Iowa yet. It will be in a few days um, <laughs> as it gets colder out there. Uh, Harold's in the chat room, and he says, God is trustworthy, Stephen, or faithful. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister, Hebrews 6, verse 10. The idea yeah. of uh, faithfulness there. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's, trustworthiness. And, and, and that's, um, well, that's one of the things I think we're about to look at yeah. is, is that very element of uh, faithfulness, the so, responsiveness. So uh, as we kind of bring this all together, and, and again, I really appreciate how you helped us get a better picture of, of what first century Christians, not, not necessarily Christians, just what first century people would have understand, uh, understood by this terminology. And I think it's hugely different from what people today commonly think. Uh, and uh, and so maybe we need to do a better job of explaining it as you did in the lesson tonight. So let's look at some verses, some well-known verses. And you kind of brought your lesson to a conclusion with looking at some really well-known verses uh, and, and, and make sure we implant this proper meaning. And you started out with uh, Galatians 2, uh, verse 20. Yeah, so um, Galatians 2 and verse 20. And this is just, um, if, if we're translating it a little bit differently, we're taking, I don't think liberties, I wouldn't say that, but we're we're just sort of trying to bring in these concepts. Yeah. And and really, let me just pause here for just a minute. What we're, what we're not saying is that faith doesn't include belief. It's certainly not less than belief. But it's just a great deal more. Yeah. There's just a lot more layers to it. And so we're, we're trying to come up with words that include those other layers. I think that's a good point to make. We're not denying that belief, basic acknowledgement, is, uh, is necessary. Right. We're not downplaying that at all. Right. We, we've got to believe that, there, that Jesus Christ was a real historical character. We have to acknowledge that he lived among men, that he died on the cross, that he was resurrected the third day. We have to ex- accept that those basic facts and, and acknowledge, yes, I, I say that's true. I believe that. But it's more than that. And one of the things here that I, I try to do is I try to take words that have taken on only a religious connotation and uh, over 2,000 years and say, all right, if um, in the first century these words are being used to religious and non-religious people, and they had non-religious usages. So for us, that's difficult because we've got 2,000 years of that usage. So what could we use that that doesn't have that connotation that makes it, I think, more impactful? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified, if if we supply a word for Christ, the king. That's an appropriate word to supply for Christ. I've been crucified with the king, and it is no longer I who live, but the king lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live 
by loyalty to the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I think that just, it's, it's deeper, it's more impactful yeah. to think of it in those and terms. I don't think it does any disservice to the, uh, to the uh, I think it actually sort of explains the meaning of the verse. Uh, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live in allegiance to the Son of God. It's, yeah. it's there. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's born out in his life. Yeah. I mean, we see it so very often. Yeah. Uh, another one we brought up was Romans 14. I think it's very helpful here. Um, a lot of times people look at Romans 14 as, um, I don't know, an excuse to do what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they try to fit that in there. Uh, but I think it's quite the opposite. Um, Romans 14, at the very end, it says, uh, he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. But if we supply those ideas, whatever is not from loyalty or allegiance, whatever is not from allegiance is sin. So the idea then would be not not just belief, but from the standpoint of are you being consistent to the proclamation of loyalty to the king? And, and I use the illustration in the sermon tonight of a child who's um, being asked to do something, and they're not sure their parents would like that. And they say, oh, I don't. I don't know if dad would like that very much. Well, our response, at least in our household, our children would be, well, then don't do it. If you're not sure, if you're afraid that dad wouldn't like that, you don't do it. So in this case, it would be, I don't know what the king might think about that. Then stay away from it. And so it's a restrictive rather than a permissive sort of a concept. So he that eateth not of loyalty or allegiance, in other words, if he feels like in doing this, I would not be loyal to my king. Then I shouldn't be doing it. Right. You know, and so it, 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 that really explains what the faith is. The faith is it, because he that eateth not of loyalty or allegiance to the king, if you if if you do that, that's a sin. If you act with no allegiance to the king. A lot yes. of a lot of folks want to flip that around and put our, we want to put ourselves up on the throne. And if, if I'm okay with it, it's okay. Right. No, it's what it. What did Christ tell me to do? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, some other passages that we uh, looked at. One is First uh, Thessalonians chapter four and verse eight. Or excuse me, chapter one and verse eight. Um, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. Um, your faith and let's say your allegiance toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. Again, if, if we've reduced it to mere belief, that's not the sort of thing people report and notice is a mental ascent. Yeah. Those people over in Thessalonica, I mean, they really have in their mind agreed that Jesus is real. I don't think that word would have gotten around. Yeah, yeah I don't think I don't think that would have gotten out. But but the visual evidence of yeah, it, their, yeah. their loyalty is seen, uh, witnessed, and then of course reported. Um, uh, another one that we uh, brought up this evening was Second um, uh, Timothy chapter four and verse seven. Second Timothy chapter four. And verse seven, we kind of started off with this and then came back to it. And I think I think this is very uh, emotional um, sort of a, a passage, and it even adds to that. So Paul says, "I'm already being poured out as a drink offering." In verse six, and the time of my departure is hand uh, is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have maintained my loyalty. Yeah, and I, I think that um, you know it, so it, it's, it's right think, in keeping think, with everything else he's saying. How, that, how, much, how much more that helps than to. I have kept the faith. Well, yeah, I still I believe. He still <laughs> believes. He never has quit believing. Yeah. No, it's more than that. He has he has maintained his loyalty to the king throughout it all. How many yeah. times do you talk to someone who's given up and mm-hmm. quit quit trying to to walk the walk, but they still believe in God. They still believe in Christ, and so that that helps you understand the idea. Yeah. it's more than just believing. Yeah. So if if all I have to do is believe, then I could be one of those people who just sort of gives up. But I still believe. So you kept the faith. So I kept the faith. Yeah. No. If I gave up, I have shown disloyalty. Right. Yes. Lack of right. allegiance. Yeah. I, I would um, – one more verse, and then there's one more uh, thought I want to throw in before we uh, close at, at whatever point uh, yeah, that well, is. Yeah. Um, 
But another verse that we go so commonly to is, is John 3.16. Yeah. Boy, everybody knows John 3.16. And, and I think sometimes we wrestle with how to answer that. And we um, Sometimes, uh, of course, the verse, uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is thrust against anybody saying, here are the things you need to do. We're going back to that. Oh, I don't have to be baptized because right. John 3.16 says Whoever believes. Yeah. And and so we end up a lot of times sort of conceding the word belief there and say, well, I mean, it does say that. <laughs> yeah. but, but does it? You know, is that is that a good translation of that verse? And I think that's where we really need to be challenging because what it ends up doing is putting us in a bind where we say, yes, you have to believe, but then you also have to. Well, I think it's much more consistent if we come back to this verse, and it is the same word faith as in all the other places we've been looking at. If we translate it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever swears allegiance to him or is loyal to him shall not perish but have eternal life. Boy, that makes that 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 just makes it go away. That yeah. makes any confusion go away. Yeah, now we're encompassing all those other yeah, things. Yeah. Now we don't have we don't have a question of do we add this other thing to it? No, what, are you loyal to the king or not? Yeah. You know, and, that's, and that's, so that's that, really helpful. And again, you're not just making that up and you're not just changing that around so that it fits your beliefs. What right. it does is it harmonizes that verse with every other verse we read in the New Testament right. versus taking it out and making it making it stand on its own and tread all over the other verses that say we've got to be obedient. As, as I was um, working on, on these lessons a while back and my wife and I were talking about it, she said, you know, I tell you, just just bringing that in, thinking about it that way. She said, I feel like I feel like so much tension is released that we've sort of tried to maintain this holding works over here and holding faith over here and trying and, to. And we, and we, and we, we're, we're determined to convince people you got to you got to have both. But they, they seem like discordant concepts. But when you understand the idea of faith and it's proper first century sense. It brings it all together perfectly. And, and take that back to the concept of, of faith or works in the book of Romans. What is Paul saying? Their works are faithless. They're unfaithful works. So uh, sometimes we get into discussions of meritorious works, works of the law. I'll tell you what it is. It's works that are not done out of loyalty to the king. Yeah. And those won't get you anywhere. Even, yeah. even if they're the right works. Yeah. If they're not done out of loyalty to the king, they're useless. Um, so, um, along these lines, we, I, I assume everybody here is a natural-born American citizen. I, I hope so. Yeah. That's what my birth certificate said. <laughs> so, we, none of us had to make an oath, take an oath, to oh. become American citizens. And, um, and, and there's a real blessing in that. But I tell you what, we, we might do well if we had to have. Because then we would understand some things that I think we don't understand. Um, the last time I looked it up, just a couple of days ago, here's the the oath to become a, a citizen of the United States. So I, if you were if you were going to be a, become a naturalized citizen, yes, you'd have yeah. to take this oath. Yeah, you, you're you're immigrating in the United States. You want to be an American citizen. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by the law, and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. So now, he, so it's, it's a, 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 an expression of allegiance. It is. It is. And, and notice, I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity. To everybody else. To anybody else, yeah. I, I, I am I am the United States, and, and notice, it, it seems to say, I'm here to do what they need me to do. Yeah. And I, I was talking to Amy about this, uh, my, my wife, we were looking at that, and just a couple of things, of course, uh, that fidelity, that um, faith, you know, mm-hmm. it, it uses the word faith here. Um, but we were just reading the first part, and I thought, you know, boy, that would be that would be pretty adaptable to somebody becoming a Christian. Yeah, it would to say these kind you of words. You can always preach a sermon from yes, that, that oath. Yes, say I have nothing to do with this anymore. Yeah, 
I'm his man, yeah. and I, I'll do. I, he's he's got all of me. Yeah, really yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, uh, Dwight and Michelle reference without faith it is impossible to please him. Hebrews eleven verse six, um, and so that that has maybe some different meaning if you take that that understanding of that full understanding of that word. Yeah. Without so that would be without loyalty and allegiance, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like it a lot, right. Stephen. You really helped us. I mean, it's a great study, and and you you you've really opened my eyes to some things that I had not fully comprehended before. And so I really appreciate you. I, I do want to give some credit here. Um, there's a book. Um, Matthew Bates is a scholar that's done a lot of this work. He's he's kind of made some enemies in the. Um, religious world, but he's gone back and, and done a lot of this research and dug up some of these usages to kind of get to that meaning. He really doesn't have an axe to grind. He's not really uh, um, trying to press it near as hard as we might. Yeah. Um, he's just saying, I don't think this is being used correctly. He's got a book called Salvation by Allegiance Alone, yeah. and uh, it was very useful in, in thinking through yeah. What's things. the name again? Matthew Bates. Bates, okay. Is a, uh, scholar at Notre Dame, I think, yeah. of all places. How yeah. much of uh, this idea that faith is just a belief and that's all that's required, how much do you think of that as a result of the the um, Roman Catholic uh, uh, abuses and uh, and and uh, doing the, the works-based yeah. things that they – and then the Reformation is coming out of that with this pendulum has swung yes, way yes. farther than what the Bible – so I think uh, I think I think that begins before the Reformation. I mean, I think you go back and and the misunderstandings are already there. And in, in um, uh, for instance, um, um, I think Aquinas would have some of those misunderstandings. I think certainly, um, oh Augustine or Augustine would would certainly represent some of those misunderstandings. But I think it hits the mainstream when you get to the Reformation. They really swing that pendulum, as you say, to the other side. Because I think the Catholic Church really, in in that era especially, does a lot of the things that are represented by the very things Paul, uh, Jesus is condemning or Paul is condemning still in Romans. Today. Yes. Yeah, still today. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that the... It's 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 comical how far they had taken uh, so the you know the indulgences and things yeah. of that nature yeah. and I think it's very similar to what the Pharisees had done right. uh, which has sort of made these um, you know technical checklist approaches right. and uh, and the Catholic Church had done that too so not those works well I agree not those works but that didn't mean no works right um, right. Really good. Good study. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Enjoyed it. Appreciate you guys. Kyle, thanks for getting it out there for us tonight. Great study. And uh, one more night. One more night of our gospel meeting. If you're anywhere near to Columbia, Tennessee, join us tomorrow night at 7. If you can't join us in person, Kyle will have the live stream up and running, Lord willing, 7 o'clock tomorrow evening. Josh McKibben. All right. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. Thank you for listening. Hope you benefited from from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.